0: I just extend my welcome to you. Thank you so much for tuning in and being with us today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. If you've been with us in recent weeks, you'll know that we've been tracking through this amazing book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, really focusing on the second half of the Exodus story, chapters 19 to chapter 40. Exodus is such a key book in the Bible. It is central to the storyline of scripture, and it's central and at the heart of the gospel. The Exodus story is our story. What happens in Exodus is echoed in our own story, and it is key to understanding what God is doing in you and I, the church, through the person of Jesus Christ. And we're at the the point of the story in Exodus where God has dramatically rescued his people out of oppression and slavery in Egypt. And they find themselves now at the foot of Mount Sinai, being commissioned to be God's representatives on earth, to be a kingdom of priests that will display God to the nations of the world. And at Mount Sinai, God gives them these rules and these instructions about what does it mean to be God's people. And last week, Nigel, Uh, Unpacked the famous Ten Commandments, and we're going to build on that today, looking at Exodus chapter 21 to uh, to 24. And we're going to start in chapter 24 because we need to understand and see where all of this is headed. Where did God's rules and commandments ultimately end up with God's people? And then we're going to dip back into 21 to 23 before finishing by looking at how chapter 24 really points forward to the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be reading Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 to 11. Uh, If you've got a Bible, grab one, otherwise just listen in to this. Then he, that's God, (laughs) said to Moses, come up to the Lord. You and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men to the people of Israel And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and they drank. We're going to come back to 24 later, but I wanted us to start there because we need to see that this passage sets out the big picture of where all of this is heading. And in reality, all of the gospel is heading that God's rescue and God's rules are ultimately about relationship and communion with him. Rescue and rules lead to relationship and communion with God. And chapter 24, we see them there eating and drinking in the presence of God, the ultimate sign of communion and relationship with God. And that is where all of this is headed to. And if you're watching this today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you are tuning in today. And the reality is this, God wants to invite you into relationship with him today. God knows you, he sees you, he created you, and he fully delights in you. And he invites you into relationship and communion with him. So let's back up a little bit and and dig a little bit into chapters 21 to 23, where, where God gives this set of rules and commandments, about 50 of them, off the back of the Ten Commandments, uh, it's not an exhaustive list, it's really an example of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And honestly, I think for many of us, myself included, we don't really know what we're supposed to do with Exodus 21 to 23. And if we're being really honest, there's probably many a time in our Bible readings where we've skipped over them, or we've read them super fast, just to say we've got through them. They are confusing at points. Why is it that God doesn't want me and didn't want the Israelites to boil a goat in its mother's milk? I'm sorry if I've ruined any of your Sunday lunch plans. They seem irrelevant at points. They seem a bit out of touch and at times offensive to our cultural lens. Just take Exodus 21 as an example. And we don't really know sometimes how to contextualize these laws. And so we sort of just dismiss them as irrelevant or out of date or we just wish they weren't there in the Bible. Whereas we need to read them as a gift that was given by God to his people to help them love God and love their neighbors in their context, in their culture, and under the covenant relationship that God had. With them, And whilst as followers of Jesus today we are not bound by the law of Moses that we read about in Exodus 21 to 23 because we have a new and better covenant through the person of Jesus Christ, there are some key principles that can help us kind of understand Exodus 21 to 23, can help us think what is God trying to teach his people and what are the lessons that we can learn for today. And there are three particular principles that I just want to unpack and explore today to help us think through Exodus 21 to 23 on a kind of a broad level. The first is this, laws are actually about freedom. Ultimately, God wants freedom for his people. And our cultural bias, particularly if you are from the Western world, is that freedom comes from being autonomous. Freedom comes from choosing your own path. Freedom comes from being true to yourself and not being under rules and regulations, if you were. Whereas actually, freedom comes in the context of rules and boundaries and a framework. Left to our own devices in a lawless society, we would be in anarchy. Left to our own devices, we pursue selfishness and we look out for our own interests above others. But when we pursue the laws that God has given, it leads to holiness and justice and equality. In our household, Sarah and I, we have two children. And of course, our children are eight and six. We have rules for them. They don't have autonomy to decide everything and on many things at their age. Does that mean that they are not free? Well, of course not. They are free but the rules that we have put in our household are for their freedom ultimately and for their protection as children. And God did not liberate his people from Egypt just to give them a whole load of new oppressive rules. God liberated them for life. And true freedom and human flourishing is found in joyful obedience and service to God. Rules are about finding delight in serving a new master, God himself. And I think King David absolutely got hold of this. That's why he delighted in the law. He loved the law because he delighted in God. And those who delight in God, delight in his ways. Secondly, about half of the laws that we see, if you read in Exodus 21 to 23, are about justice. And for protection of parts of the population who would otherwise be at risk of being exploited, the oppressed, the poor, the servant, the foreigner, women in that context. And so these laws are actually around justice. God is a just God. And He cares for the vulnerable. And so He sets a framework for His people that, when followed, will bring justice to the oppressed and the vulnerable in their society, even in a broken world. See, God's people are called to shine a light on injustice and to model true kingdom justice. Justice is at the heartbeat of the gospel and it's at the heartbeat of the rules and the laws that God gives to his people. These rules are really about living as a just Society and were actually a gift to those who were at risk of being mistreated, overlooked, or harmed. And while we may find passages like Exodus 21 very difficult to understand with our cultural lens, it is actually a passage about justice for those who are oppressed and at risk of being mistreated. And for followers of Jesus today, we should read these passages and be challenged about God's heart for justice and standing up against injustice. What is our heart? What is my heart for the vulnerable, for the oppressed, for the powerless and the poor in our society? How am I and how are we modelling a kind of community that speaks about a just God who welcomes and honours those who are oppressed? and poor and the foreigner among us. How are we doing at that both individually and collectively? These passages should challenge us about our our position and our pursuit of justice in our day and in our own church family. And lastly, these laws are really a framework where God says, I want to affect and be involved in every area of your life. God calls his people to be set apart from the nations, to be different in every area of life. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, for those of us who are God's representatives to the world, we are called to allow him to flavor and to reshape and to transform and to reign over every area of our lives, our households, our workplaces, our business dealings, our finances, our friendships. And the question that we need to ask ourselves, if you are a follower of Jesus, is, am I allowing God to reign in every area of my life? Am I allowing him to reign over my finances? Am I allowing him to reign over my friendships? Am I allowing him to reign in the deepest parts of my hearts? Am I honest in my dealings with people? Are we allowing God to affect and to reshape and to transform every area of our lives. And so therefore, while sometimes each individual law can be hard to get hold of, and what does it actually mean and how do we apply it? Let's remember that laws, that the laws God gives his people are about freedom, they're about justice, and they're about allowing God to transform and affect every area of our lives. But God's rescue up to the point of kind of Exodus 16, and then the rules that he sets out for his people in 19 to 23 all lead them to chapter 24, where we what we read earlier, where God calls Moses and Aaron and Nabad and Abihu and the 70 elders up the mountain. But before Moses goes up the mountain, he reads the the law to the people, what is now for us Exodus kind of 20 to 23. And in unity, they say, we will do what God has asked. We will be obedient. There's an eagerness and a keenness in their voices. Yes, we will obey, but if you track the story only a few chapters on, you'll see that their keenness and their eagerness to obey doesn't last too long. Just look at what happens when Moses goes up the mountain and they come down and they and they are worshiping the golden calf and breaking the covenant they made with God and at the point where where God says, "Will you follow?" and they say, "Yes, we will." Moses builds an altar, and the covenant partnership between God and his people, God and the Israelites is sealed with the shedding of blood, including this rather gross scene where blood is splattered over the people, which is an unpleasant scene to think of. Their rescue, God's rules, all lead them towards this covenant relationship with God. And so they head up the mountain. And when they go up the mountain, it's like the curtain is lifted and they see a glorious picture of all that has been headed up towards this moment. All the story thus far has been building towards. The curtain is lifted and they get to see what is going on. They behold God. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We see that they get to behold and see God and that should make us pause in awe and wonder and stillness before God. The message version puts it like this They saw the God of Israel. He was standing on a pavement of something like sapphires, pure, clear, sky blue. He didn't hurt these pillar leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank. As the curtain is lifted in this great climactic moment of this story, something staggering takes place. They come up the mountain and they behold God. They are in his presence and they share a meal with him. He invites them to eat and drink in his presence. He says, come up to the mountain and eat and be in my presence. And they behold God in this moment. What an amazing and staggering moment that all of the Exodus story up to this point leads to this moment where they are before God, communing and eating and drinking and sealing this relationship in his presence. Or as the author, Tim Chester puts it, this is salvation, to eat with God. Their rescue, these rules, are about relationship and communion with God. Don't miss the significance of what God is doing in this moment, that eating in God's presence is a sign of intimacy and friendship and acceptance, and it's deeply relational. Relational what is happening in this moment as the curtain is lifted and we see their rescue and the rules are all leading towards this relationship and communion and eating and drinking in the presence of God himself. As amazing as Exodus 24 is, there is something slightly incomplete about this story. Only 70 of them are allowed up the mountain. And only Moses then goes on to meet with God in a new way. And this kind of lack of completeness hovers over the rest of the Exodus story. And it hovers over the rest of the Old Testament. But remember, the, old, the, the Exodus story points forward. Exodus 24 points forward to the day when God would not ask the 70 elders to come up the mountain, but that he himself would come down to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, so that all could be invited to come, eat, drink, and be invited to be in relationship with God and in his presence. You see, as Jesus walked the earth, some thousands, Years later, after Exodus 24, he perfectly fulfilled and reenacted the Exodus 24 narrative. He invited outcasts like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the prostitutes, the broken, the hurting, the sinner to come into his presence and literally eat with them, to enter into relationship with God and to receive the life of Jesus. In the person of Jesus Christ, people saw and were invited to come before the true God of Israel to receive forgiveness, to receive life, and to have communion with God himself. And through the shedding of his blood on the cross, he initiates a new and better covenant promise. And he initiates salvation once and for all time through the shedding of his blood, where all of our sin... And all of our shame and all of our guilt is covered by his death and his resurrection. And this new covenant is not limited to the 70 elders who go up the mountain, nor is it limited to the 12 disciples who share the first meal, uh, the communion meal with Jesus, nor is it limited to the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, but to millions and billions right throughout history from the day of Jesus and including today he has invited every tribe and every tongue and every nation and he has invited you and he invites you today to enter into relationship and communion with him he invites you to behold god and to eat with him and to commune with him and to be in relationship with him and you don't have to go up the mountain like Moses and the elders did, but Jesus has come down and he lived the life that you could never live. And he died the death that you could never die. And he rose again gloriously and he's initiated a new and better promise. And he invites you today into relationship with him. And if you are watching this and you are already consider yourself a follower of Jesus, remember this. Exodus 24 teaches us that we are saved through Jesus. It points forward to our salvation through Jesus for relationship and communion. Your rescue, the commands of Jesus that exist in the new covenant are about relationship and communion with God, both now and in the new heavens and the new earth where we will commune and eat and feast with God for all time. What an amazing story. What an amazing God we serve and worship. And my challenge to you this morning is, if you are a follower of Jesus already, is are you allowing God's reign to affect every area of your life? Are you allowing him to permeate into all of life? Not having a secular sacred divide, but saying, God, would you come and transform every area of my life as I'm in relationship and communion with you? May I delight in serving you because I delight in you. But if you're watching this and you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I want to say this to you this morning. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and He is inviting you to let him in, to behold him and to be in relationship with him. He offers forgiveness. He offers life and he offers relationship with your creator. Life with Jesus at the centre is life-giving. It's what we were hardwired for. Because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, he invites you today to come and be in relationship with him and to know him and to commune with him and to give your life to him, knowing that in that true life is found. And you can respond today you can receive this invitation today. And maybe as I close, if that's you, you'd like to echo this prayer wherever you are. Jesus, I acknowledge that I was made for relationship and communion with you. I receive your invitation for relationship with me. And I willingly accept. Jesus, I acknowledge I have fallen short of your standard. I have sinned against you and I need rescue and redemption. I turn away from living life my own way, of pursuing my own agenda and living independently from you. I give my life to you today. I put my faith in your death and resurrection. I choose to follow you from today and to walk in your ways. I surrender to you as my Lord and my Saviour. Amen.